Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone Chapter 5 Diagon Alley Harry woke up early the next morning. Although he could tell it was daylight, he kept his eyes shut tight. It was a dream, he told himself firmly. firmly. I dreamed a giant called Hagrid came to tell me that I was going to a school for wizards. When I open my eyes, I will be at home in my cupboard. There was suddenly a loud tapping noise, tap, tap, tap. And there's Aunt Petunia knocking on the door, Harry thought, his heart sinking. But he still didn't open his eyes. It had been such a good dream. Tap, tap, tap. All right, Harry mumbled. I'm getting up. He sat up, and Hagrid's heavy coat fell off him. The hut was full of sunlight. The storm was over. Hagrid himself was asleep on the collapsed sofa. And there was an owl dropping its claw on the window, a newspaper held in its beak. Harry scrambled to his feet, so happy he felt as though a large balloon was falling inside him. He went straight to the window, jerked it open. The owl swooped in and dropped the newspaper on top of Hagrid, who didn't wake up. The owl then fluttered onto the floor and began to attack Hagrid's coat. Don't do that. Harry tried to wave the owl out of the way, but it snapped its beak fiercely at him and carried on savaging the coat. Hagrid, said Harry loudly, there's an owl. Pay him. Harry grunted onto the sofa. What? He wants paying for delivering the paper. Look in the pockets. Hagrid's coat seemed to be made of nothing but pockets. Bunches of keys, luck pellets, balls of string, peppermint humbugs, tea bags. Finally, Harry pulled out a handful of strange-looking coins. Give him five nuts, said Hagrid. Sleepily, nuts, little bronze ones. Harry counted five little bronze coins, and the owl held out its legs so Harry could put the money into a small leather pouch tied to it. Then he flew off through the open window. Hagrid yawned loudly and sat up and stretched. Best be off, Harry. Lots to do today. Gotta get back to London and buy all your stuff for school. Harry was turning over wizard's coins and looking in them. He had just thought of something that made him feel as though all the happy balloons inside him had got a puncture. Um, Hagrid? Mm, said Hagrid, who was pulling on his huge boots. Wait, I haven't got any money and you heard Uncle Warren last night. He won't pay for me to go and learn magic. Don't worry about that, Hagrid said, standing up and scratching his head. Do you think your parents didn't leave you anything? But if their house was destroyed, they didn't keep their gold in their house, boy. Nah, first stop for us is Gringotts, Wizard's Bank. Have a sausage, they're not bad cold, and I wouldn't say no to a bit of your birthday cake neither. Wizards have banks? Just one, Gringotts, run by goblins. Harry dropped the bit of sausage he was holding. Goblins? Yeah, so you'd never be mad to try to rob it. I'll tell you that. Never mess with goblins, Harry. Gringotts is the safest place in the world for 
anything you want to keep safe, except maybe Hogwarts. As a matter of fact, I gotta visit Gringotts anyway, or Dumbledore, Hogwarts business. Hagrid drew himself up proudly. He usually gets me to do all the important stuff for him, fetching you, getting things from Gringotts. Now he can trust me, see? Got everything? Come on, then. Harry followed Hagrid out onto the rocks. The sky was quite clear now, and the sun gleamed in the sunlight. The boat Uncle Vernon had hired was still there, with a lot of water in the bottom after the storm. How did you get here? Harry asked, looking around for another boat. Flu, said Hagrid. Flu? Yeah, but we'll go have to we'll have to go back in this. Not supposed to use magic now that I've got yeah. They settled down in the boat. Harry was still staring at Hagrid, trying to imagine him flying. Seems a shame to row though, said Hagrid, giving Harry another of his sideways looks. Five of us to er speed things up a bit. Would you mind not mentioning at Hogwarts? Of course not, said Harry, eager to see more magic. Hagrid pulled out the pink umbrella again, tapped it twice on the side of the boat, and they sped off toward land. Why would you be mad to try and rob Gringotts? Well, enchantments, said Hagrid, unfolding his newspaper as he spoke. They say there is a dragon guarding the high security vaults, and then you gotta find your way. Gringotts is Hundreds of miles under London, see? Deep under the underground. You'd die of hunger trying to get out, even if you didn't manage to get your hands in cement. Harry sat and thought about this, while Hagrid read his newspaper, The Daily Prophet. Harry had learned from Uncle Vernon that people liked to be left alone when they did this. But it was very difficult. He had never had so many questions in his life. Ministry of Magic messing things up as usual, Hagrid murmured, murmur, murmured, turning that page. There's a Ministry of Magic too, Harry asked before he could stop himself. Of course, said Hagrid. They wanted Dumbledore for minister, of course, but he'd never leave Hogwarts, so old Cornelius Fudge got the job. Bungler if there ever was one, but he pelt. Dumbledore with owls every morning asking for advice. But what does the Ministry of Magic do? After all, their main job is to keep it from Mongols that there are still wizards and wizards up and down the country. Why? Why, Billy me Harry, everyone wanted magical solutions to their problems. Nah, we're best left alone. At this moment, the boat bumped gently into the harbor wall. Hagrid folded up his newspaper and they clambered up the stone steps onto the street. Passerby stayed a lot, stared a lot at Hagrid as they walked through the little town to the little station. Harry couldn't blame them. Not only was Hagrid twice as tall as anybody else, he kept pointing at perfectly ordinary things like parking meters, saying loudly, See, Harry, things these muggles dream up, eh? Hagrid, said Harry, panting a bit as he ran to keep up. Did you say there are dragons at King Gringotts? Well, so they say, said Hagrid. Quirky, I'd like a dragon. You'd like one? I've wanted one ever since I was a kid. 
There we go. They had reached the station. There was a train to London in five minutes' time. Hagrid, who didn't understand muggle money, as he called him, gave the bill to Harry so that he could buy the tickets. Paul stared more than ever on the train. Hagrid took up two seats and sat knitting what looked like a canary yellow circus tent. Still got your letter, Harry? he asked as he counted the tickets. Harry took the parchment envelope out of his pocket. Good, there's a list of everything you need. Harry unfolded the second piece of paper he hadn't noticed the night before and read, Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. Uniform. First-year students will require three sets of plain robes, black, one plain pointed hat, black for day wear, one pair of protective gloves, dragon hide or similar, one winter cloak, black, silver fastenings. Please note that all pupils' clothes should carry name tags, course books. All students should have a copy of each of the following. The Standard Book of Spells, Grade 1, by Miranda Goshrock. A History of Magic, by Batilda Backstock. Magical Theory, by Aldelbert Walfing. A Beginner's Guide to Transfiguration, by Emmerich Switch. 1,000 Magical Herbs and Fungi, by Fulius Bohr. Magical Draughts and Potions, by Arsenius Jigga. Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, by Newt Scamander. The Dark Forces, A Guide to Self-Protection, by Quentin Trimble. Other Equipment, One Wand, One Cauldron, Pewter Size, Surrender Size 2. One Set Glass or Crystal Fowls, One Telescope, One Set Brass Scales. Students may also bring an owl, or a cat, or a toad. Parents are reminded that first years are not allowed their own broomsticks. Can we buy all this in London? Harry wondered aloud. If you know where to go, said Hagrid. Harry had never been to London before, although Hagrid seemed to know exactly where he was going. He obviously was not used to getting there by the ordinary way. He got stuck in the ticket barrier in the underground and complained loudly that the seats were too slow and the seats were too small. I don't know how the muggles manage without magic, he said as they climbed a broken down escalator that led up to a bustling road lined with shops. Hagrid was so huge that he parted the crowd easily. All Harry had to do was keep close behind him. They passed bookshops and music stores and hamburger restaurants and cinemas, but nowhere that looked like it could sell you a magic wand. This was just an ordinary street full of ordinary people. Could there really be piles of wizard gold buried miles beneath them? Were there really shops that sold spellbooks and broomsticks? Might this not all be some huge joke that the Dursleys had cooked up? If Harry hadn't known that the Dursleys had no sense 
of humor. He might have thought so. Yet somehow, even though everything Hagrid told him so far was unbelievable, Harry could help trusting him. This is the place, said Hagrid, coming to a halt. The Leaky Cauldron. It's a famous, it's a famous place. It was a tiny, grubby-looking pug. If Harry, if Hagrid hadn't pointed it out, Harry wouldn't have noticed it was there. The people hurrying by didn't glance at it. Their eyes slid from the big bookshop on one side to the record shop on the other, as if they couldn't see the leaky cauldron at all. In fact, Harry had the most peculiar feeling that only he and Hagrid could see it. Before he could mention this, Hagrid steered him inside. For a famous place, it was very dark and shabby. A few old women were sitting in a corner, drinking tiny glasses of sherry. One of them was smoking a long pipe. A little man in a top hat was talking to an old bartender, who was quite bald and looked like a titless walnut. The old, the low buzz of chatter stopped when they walked in. Everyone seemed to know Hagrid. They waved and smiled at him, and the bartender reached for a glass, saying, The usual Hagrid? Can't Tom I'm on Hogwarts business, said Hagrid, clapping his great hand on Harry's shoulder and making Harry's knees buckle. Good Lord, said the bartender, peering at Harry. Is this? Can this be? The leaky cauldron had suddenly gone completely still and silent. Bless my soul, whispered the old bartender. Harry Potter. What an honor! He hurried out from behind the bar, rushed toward Harry, and seized his hand, tears in his eyes. Welcome back, Mr. Potter, welcome back! Harry didn't know what to say. Everyone was looking at him. The old woman with the pipe was puffing on it without realizing it had gone out. Hagrid was beaming. There was a great scraping of chairs, and the next moment, Harry found himself shaking hands with everyone in the leaky cauldron. Doris Crockford, Mr. Potter, can't believe I'm meeting you at last. So proud, Mr. Potter, I'm just so proud. Always wanted to, Mr. to shake your hand. I'm all of a pull, I'm all of a flutter. Delighted, Mr. Potter, just can't tell you, Diggle's the name, Diddle's Diggle. I've seen you before, said Harry, as Diddle's Diggle's. Top hat fell off in his assignment. He bowed to me once in a shop. He remembers, cried, Digg cried Didalus Diggle, looking around at everyone. Did you hear that? He remembers me. Harry shook hands again and again. Doris Crockford kept coming back for more. A little pale young man was his way forward very nervously. One of his eyes was twisting. Professor Quirrell, said Hagrid. Harry, Professor Quirrell will be one of your teachers at Hogwarts. Potter, stammered Professor Quirrell, grasping Harry's hand. Can't tell you how pleased I am to meet you. What sort of magic do you teach, Professor Quirrell? The defense against the dark arts, muttered Professor Quirrell, as though he'd rather not think about it. And not that you needed the egg of Potter. He 
he laughed nervously. You'll be getting all your equipment, I suppose. I got to pick a new book on vampires myself. He looked terrified at the very thought. But the others wouldn't let Professor Quirrell keep Harry to himself. It looked it took almost ten minutes to get away from them all. At last, Harry managed to make himself heard over the babble. Must get on. Lots to buy. Come on, Harry. Doris Cockford shook Harry's hand one more last time, and Hagrid led him in through the bar and out into a small walled courtyard where there was nothing but a trash can and a few weeds. Hagrid grinned at Harry. Told her, didn't I? Told you you was famous. Even Professor Cromwell was trembling to, to meet you. Mind you, he's usually trembling. Is he always that nervous? Oh yeah, poor bloke. Brilliant mind. He was fine while he was studying out of books. But then he took a year off and got some first-hand experience. They say he met vampires in the Black Forest and where there was a nasty bit of trouble with a hag. Never been the same since. Scared of students, scared of his own subject. Now, where's me umbrella? Vampires? Hags? Harry's head was swimming. Hagrid, meanwhile, was counting bricks in the wall above the trash can. Three, yep, two across, he muttered. Right, stand back, Harry. He tapped the wall three times with the point of his umbrella. The brick touched. The brick he had touched quivered. It wiggled. In the middle, a small hole appeared. It grew wider and wider. A second later, they were facing an archway large enough even for Hagrid. An archway into a cobbled street that twisted and turned out of sight. Welcome, said Hagrid, to Diagon Alley. He grinned at Harry's amazement. They stepped through the archway. Harry looked quickly over his shoulder and saw the archway shrink instantly into a solid wall. The sun, the sun shone brightly on a stack of cauldrons outside the nearest shop. Cauldrons, all sizes, coppers, brass, pewter, silver, self-steering, collapsible, with all set a sign hanging over them. Yeah, you'll be needing one, but we gotta get your money first. Harry wished he had about eight more eyes. He turned his head in every direction as they walked past the street, trying to look at everything at once. The shops, the things outside them, the people doing the shopping. A plump woman outside an apothecary was shaking her head as they passed, saying, Dragon liver, sixteen sickles an ounce. You're mad. A low, soft hooting came from a dark shop with a sign saying, Elips Owliporium, Tawny Screech, Barn Brown and Snowy. Several boys about Harry's age had their noses pressed against the window with broomsticks in it. Look, Harry heard one of them say, the new Nimbus 2000, fast as ever. There were shops selling robes, shops selling telescopes, and strange silver instruments Harry had never seen before. Windows stacked with Barrels and back cleans and eels eyes, tottering piles of spell books, quills and rolls of parchment, potion bottles, globes of moon. Gringotts, said Hagrid, 
as they reached a snowy white building that towered over the other little shops. Standing beside its burning, burnishing bronze doors, wearing a uniform of scarlet and gold, was... Yeah, that's a goblin, said Hagrid quietly, as they walked up the white stone steps toward him. The goblin was about a head shorter than Harry. He was a swarthy, clever face and a pointed beard. Harry noticed very long fingers and feet. He bowed as they walked past. Now they were facing a second pair of doors, silver this time, with words engraved upon them. Enter, stranger, but take heed of all weights of sin and greed. For those you take but do not earn must pay most dearly in their turn. If you sneak beneath our falls, a treasure that was never yours, Thief, you have been warned, beware of finding more than treasure there. Like I said, you'd be mad to try and rob it, said Hagrid. A pair of goblins bowed them through the silver doors, and they were in a vast marble hall. About a hundred more goblins were sitting on high stools behind a long counter, scribbling in large ledgers, weighing coins in brass scales, examining precious stones through eyeglasses. There were too many doors to count leading off the hall, yet more goblins were showing people in and out of these. Hagrid and Harry made for the counter. Morning, said Hagrid to a free goblin. We've come to take some money out of Mr. Potter's safe. You have his key, sir? Got it here somewhere, said Hagrid, and he started emptying his pockets onto the counter scattering a handful of moldy dog biscuits over the goblin's book numbers. The goblin wrinkled his nose. Harry watched the goblin on their right ring a pile of rubies as big as glowing coals. Got it, said Hagrid at last, holding up a teeny golden key. The goblin looked at it closely. That seems to be in order. And I've also got a letter from Professor Dumbledore, said Hagrid, importantly throwing out his chest. It's about, you know what, in Walt 713. Gob the goblin read the letter carefully. Very well, he said, handing it back to Hag Hagrid. I will have someone take you down to both Walt's. Griffith? Griffith was yet another goblin. Once Hagrid had crammed all the dog biscuits back inside his pockets, he and Harry followed Griffith toward one of the doors leading toward the hall. What's the you-know-what in Vault 713? Harry asked. Can't tell you that, said Hagrid mysteriously. Very secret. Hogwarts business. Dumbledore trusted me. More in my jobs were to tell you that. Griffith led the door open for them. Harry, who had expected more marble, was surprised. There was a narrow passageway lit with flaming torches. It sloped steeply downward, and there was a little railway track on the floor. The griffith whistled, and a small cart came hurtling up the tracks toward them. They climbed in, haggard with some difficulty, and were off. At first, they just hurtled through a maze of twisting passages, Harry tried to remember, left, right, right, left, middle fork, right, left, 
But it was impossible. The rattling cart seemed to know its own way because Griffith wasn't steering. Harry's eyes stung as the cold air rushed past them, but he kept them wide open. Once he thought he saw a burst of fire at the end of a passage and twisted around to see if it was a dragon, but too late. He plunged even deeper, passing an underground lake where huge stalactites and stalagmites grew from the ceiling and floor. Never know, said Harry, called to Hagrid. I never know, Harry called to Hagrid above the, above the noise of the cart. What's the difference between a stalagmite and a stalactite? A stalagmite got an M in it, said Hagrid. Don't ask me questions. Just now, I think I'm going to be sick. He did look very green. When the cart stopped at last beside a small door in the passage wall, Hagrid got out and had to lean against the wall to stop his knees from trembling. Griffith unlocked the door. A lot of green smoke came billowing out, and as it cleared, Harry gasped. Inside were mounds of gold coins, columns of silver, Heaps of little bronze nuts. All yours, smiled Hagrid. All Harry's. It was incredible. The Dursleys couldn't have known about this or they'd have it from him faster than blinking. How often had they complained how much Harry cost them to keep? And all this time, there had been a small fortune belonging to him buried deep under linen. Hagrid helped Harry pile some of it into a bag. The gold ones are gullions. The silver ones are, sev- are sickles. Seventeen silver sickles to a gullion. And twenty-nine nuts to a sickle. That's is enough, right? That should be enough for a couple of terms. We shall keep the rest safe for you. He turned to Griffith. Walt 713 now, please. And can we go slowly? One speed only, said Griffith. They were going even deeper now, the ga- and gathering speed. The air became colder and colder as they hurtled round tight corners. They went rattling over underground riven, and Harry leaned over to see to the side what was down at the dark bottom. But Hagrid groaned and pulled him back by the scruff of his neck. Walt 713 had no keyhole. Stand back, said Griffith importantly. He stroked the door gently and one of his long fingers, and it simply melted away. Anyone but a grim, if anyone but a Gringotts goblin tried that, they'd be sucked through in the door and trapped in there, said Griffith. How often do you check if to see if anyone's inside. About once every ten years, said Hag- said Griffith, with a rather nasty grin. Something really extraordinary had to be inside this top-security vault, Harry was sure, and he leaned forward eagerly, expecting to see fabulous jewels in the very loose. At first he thought it was empty, then he noticed a grubby little package wrapped in brown paper, lying on the floor. Harry picked it up, Hagrid picked it up, and tucked it deep inside his coat. Harry longed to know what it was, 
but knew better than to ask. Come on back in this infernal cart, and don't talk to me on the way back. It's best if I keep me mouth shut, Hagrid said. One wild cartwright letter, they stood blinking in the sunlight outside Gringotts. Harry didn't know where to run first now that he had a bag full of money. He didn't know how many galleons there were to a pound to know that he was holding more money than he had in his whole life. More money than even Dudley ever had. Might as well get your uniform, said Hagrid, nodding toward Madame Malkin's robes for all occasions. Listen, Harry, would you mind if I slipped off to pick me up? If I slipped off to pick a, for a pick me up in the leaky cauldron? I hate them Gringotts carts. He did still look a little bit sick, so Harry entered Madame Malkin's shop alone, feeling nervous. Madame Malkin was a squat, smiling witch, dressed in um, all in a mauve. Hogwarts, yeah, she said as Harry, she said when Harry started to speak. Got a lot here. Another young man being fitted up just now, in fact. And in the back of the shop, a boy with a pale, pointed face was standing on the footstool, while a second witch pinned up his long black robes. Madame Malkin stood over Harry on a, school, on a stool next to him slipped a long robe over his head, and began to pin it to the right length. Hello, said the boy. Hogwarts, too? Yes, said Harry. My father's next door buying me books, and my mother's at the street looking at wands, said the boy. He had a bored, drawling look. Then I'm going to drag him off to look for Draco Boy. I don't see why first-years can't have their own. I think I'll bully father into getting me one. They all smuggled in somehow. Harry was strongly reminded of Dudley. Have you got your own broom? No. Play Quidditch at all? No. I do. Father says it's a crime if I'm not picked to play from my house. And I must say I agree. Know how? Know what house you'll be in yet? No, said Hag. Said Harry feeling more stupid by the minute. Well, no one really knows until they get there, do they? But I know, I'll be in Slytherin, all our family have been. Imagine being in Hufflepuff. I think I'd leave, wouldn't you? Hmm, said Harry, wishing he could say something a bit more interesting. I say, look at that man, said Harry, to the boy suddenly nodding in front of the window. Hagrid was standing there grinning at Harry, pointing at two large ice creams to show that he couldn't come in. That's Hagrid, said Harry. He needs to know something that the boy didn't. He works at Hogwarts. Oh, I've heard of him. He's sort of a servant, isn't he? He's the gamekeeper, said Harry. He was liking the boy less and less every second. Yes, exactly. I heard he's sort of savage. Lives in a hut on the school grounds. Every now and then he gets drunk, tries to do magic, and ends up setting fire to his bread. I think he's brilliant, said Harry coldly. Do you? said the boy with a slight sneer. Why is he with you? Where are your parents? They're dead, said Harry. Shortly, he didn't feel much like going into matter with this boy. Oh, 
sorry, to the other, not sounding sorry at all. But they were our kind, weren't they? They were a witch and wizard, if that's what you mean. I really don't think they should let the other sort in, do you? They're just not the same. I've, they've never been brought up to know our ways. Some of them have, haven't even heard of Hogwarts till they get the letter. Imagine. I think they should keep it in the old wizarding families. What's your surname, anyway? But before Harry could answer, Madame Mountain said, That's done, my boy, my dear, said Harry. And Harry, not sorry for an excuse to stop talking to the boy, hopped down from the footstool. Well, I'll see you at Hogwarts, I suppose, said the drawling boy. Harry was rather quiet as he ate ice cream. The rat as he ate the ice cream Hagrid had brought him, chocolate and raspberry with chopped nuts. What's up? said Hagrid. Nothing, Harry lied. They stopped to buy parchment and scrolls. Harry cheered up when he found when he found a bottle of ink that changed color as he wrote. When they left the shop, he said, Hagrid, what's Quidditch? Blimey, Harry, I keep forgetting how little you know, not knowing about Quidditch. Don't make me feel worse, said Harry. He told Hagrid about the pale boys in Madame Malkin's. And he said that people from muggle families shouldn't even be allowed in. You're not from a muggle family, if you know who you ever. He's grown, knowing, he's grown up knowing your name if his, parents, if his parents were visiting folks. He saw that everyone in Leaky Cauldron was like when they saw you. Anyway... Does he know about it sometimes? Anyway, what does he know about it? Some of the best I ever saw were the only ones with magic in them in a long line of muggles. Look at your mum. Look what she had for a sister. So, what's Quidditch? It's our sport, wizard sport. It's like, like soccer in muggle worlds. Everyone follows Quidditch. Played up in the air on broomsticks, they're full balls. Sort of hard to explain the rules. What are Slytherin and Hufflepuff? Full houses. There's four. Everyone says the Hufflepuff are a lot of duffers, but I bet I'm a Hufflepuff, said Harry grimly. Better Hufflepuffs than Slytherin, said Harry darkly. There's not a single witch or wizard who went bad who wasn't in Slytherin. You know who was one? Well, sorry. You know who was at Hogwarts? Years and years ago. Hagrid said they brought Harry school books in a shop called Flourishing Books. The shelves were stacked to the ceiling with books as large as paving stones bound in leather, books the size of postage stamps with covers of silk, books full of peculiar symbols, and a few books with nothing in them at all. Even Dudley, who never read anything, would have been wild to get his hands on some of these. Hagrid almost has to drag Harry away from the curses and counter-curses. Bevitch your friends and bevuddle your enemies with these latest revenges. Hair loss, jelly lurch, tongue-tying, and much, much more. By Professor Windictus Wardian. I was trying to find out how to curse Dudley. I'm not saying that that's not a good idea, 
but you're not to use magic in the muggle world, except in very special circumstances. And anyway, you could work any of them curses yet. You'll need a lot more study before you get to that level. Hagrid won't let Harry buy a single solid gold cauldron either. It says pewter on your list. But they got a nice set of scales for rain potion ingredients and a collapsible blast brass telescope. Then they visited the apothecary, which was a fascinating enough to make up for its horrible smell. A mixture of bad eggs, rotted cabbages, barrels of slimy stuff stood on the floor. Jars of herbs and dried fruits and bright powders lined the walls. Bundles of feathers, strings of fangs, snarled claws hung from the ceiling, while Hagrid asked the man behind the counter for a supply of some basic potion ingredients for Harry. Harry himself examined silver unicorn horns with a 21 galleons each and minuscule glittery black beetle eyes, five nuts a scoop. Outside the apothecary, Hagrid checked Harry's list again. Just your wand left. Oh yeah, and I still haven't got you a birthday present. Harry felt himself go ahead. You don't have to. I know I don't have to. But tell you what, I'll get you an animal. Not a toad. Toads are out of fashion years ago. But yeah, I'd be laughed at. I don't like cats. They make me sneeze. I'll get you an owl. All the kids want owls. They're dead useful. Carrial males and everything. Twenty minutes later, they left Elop's Owl Emporium, which had been dark and full of rustling, flickering, jewel-bright eyes. Harry now carried a large cage that held a beautiful snowy owl, fast asleep with her head under her wing. He couldn't stop stammering his thanks, sounding just like Professor Quirrell. Don't mention it, said Hagrid gruffly. Don't expect you've had a lot of presents from them, Dursley. Just all vendors left now. Only place for one's all vendors. And you've got to have the best wand. A magic wand. This was what Harry had been really looking forward to. The last shot was narrow and shabby. Peeling gold letters over the door read Ollivanders, makers of fine ones since 382 BC. A single wand lay on a faded purple cushion in the dusty window. A twinkling bell rang somewhere in the depths of the shop as they stepped inside. It was a tiny place except for a single spindly chair that Harvard sat on to wait. Harry felt strangely as though he'd entered a very strict library. He swallowed a lot of new questions that had just occurred to him and looked instead at the thousands of narrow boxes piled neatly right up to the ceiling. For some reason, the back of his neck prickled. The very dust and silence in here seemed to tinkle with some secret magic. Good afternoon, said a soft voice. Harry jumped. Hagrid must have jumped too because there was a loud crunching noise. 
and he quickly got off the spindling chair. An old man was standing before them, his wide, pale eyes shining like moons through the gleams of the shop. Hello, said the Harry awkwardly. Ah, yes, said the man. Yes, yes. I thought I'd be seeing you, Harry Potter. It wasn't a question. You have your mother's eyes. It seems only yesterday she was in here herself, buying her first one, ten and a quarter inches long, which she made of velo, nice warm for chum work. Mr. Lavender moved closer to Harry. Harry wished he would blink. Those silver eyes were a bit creepy. The father, on the other hand, favored a mahogany wand, eleven inches pliable, a little more power, and excellent for transfiguration. Well, I say, your father favored it. It's really the one that chooses a wizard, of course. Mr. Ollivander had come so close that he and Harry were almost nose to nose. Harry could see himself reflected in those misty eyes. And that's where... Mr. Ollivander touched the night... They touched a lightning scar on Harry's forehead with a long white finger. I'm sorry to say that I stole the one that did it, he said softly. Thirteen and a half inches. You powerful one, very powerful, and in the wrong hands. Well, if I'd known what that wand was going out in the world to do, he shook his head, and then to Harry's relief, pocketed Hagrid. Rubius, Rubius, Hagrid, how nice to see you. Oh, sixteen inches, rather bendy, wasn't it? It was, sir, yes, said Hagrid. Good wand, that one, but I suppose they snapped it in half when you got expelled, said Mr. Albander, suddenly stern. Er, yes, they did, said Hagrid. Shuffling its feet. I've still got the pieces, though, he added brightly, if you don't use them. Oh, no, sir, said Hagrid quickly. Harry noticed he gripped his pink umbrella very tightly as he spoke. Hmm, said Mr. Orlander, giving Hagrid a piercing look. Well, now, Mr. Potter, let me see. He pulled a long tape measure with silver markings out of his pocket. Which is your wand arm? Irwell and right-handed, hold out your arm. That's it. He measured Harry from shoulder to finger, then wrist and wrist to elbow, shoulder to floor, knee to armpit, and around his head. As he measured, he said, every Ollivanderand has a core of a powerful magical substance. Mr. Potter, we use unicorn hairs, phonix tail feathers, and the Hot strings of dragons. No two Ollivander wands are the same. Just no two unicorns, dragons, or phonixes are quite the same. And of course, you will never get such good results with another wizard's wand. Harry suddenly realized that the tape, the tape measure which was measuring between his nostrils was doing its work on its own. Mr. Ollivander was slitting around shelves, taking down boxes. This will do, he said, and the tape measure crumpled into a heap on the floor. Right then, Mr. Potter, try this one. Be sure that a dragon hard string, nine inches, nice and flexible. Take it and give it a wave. Harry took the wand and, feeling foolish, foolish, waved it around a bit. But Mr. Ollivander snatched it out of his hand almost at once. Maple and phonics feathers, seven inches, quite good. You try. Harry tried. 
it hardly raised the wand when it too was snatched back by Ollivander, Mr. Ollivander. No, no. Here, ebony and unicorn hair, eight and a half inches. Springy, go on. Go on, try it out. Harry tried and tried. He had no idea what Mr. Ollivander was waiting for. A pile of tried wound. The pile of tried ones was mounting higher and higher on the spindly chair. But the more ones Mr. Ollivander pulled from the shelf, the happier he seemed to become. Tricky customer, huh? Not to worry. We'll find the perfect match here somewhere. I wonder now. Yes. Why not? Unusual combination. Holly and Fonix feather. Eleven inches. Nice and supple. Harry took the wand. He felt such a warmth in his fingers. He raised the warm wand above his head and brought it swishing down onto the dusky chair. And a stream of red and gold sparks shot from the end like a firework, throwing dancing spots of lightning on the walls. Harry whooped and clapped. Mr. Ollivander cried, Oh, bravo! Yes, indeed, oh, very good. Well, well, well. How curious, how very curious. He put Harry's wand back into its wand box, wrapped it in brown paper, still muttering, still muttering, curious, curious. Sorry, sorry, said Harry, but what is curious? Mr. Ollivander fixed Harry with his pale stare. I remember every wand I've ever sold, Mr. Potter, every single wand. It so happens that the phonix, whose tail feather is in your wand, gave another feather, just one other, and it's curious indeed that you shall be destined for this wand when its brother, why, its brother gave you that scar. Harry swallowed. Yes, thirteen and a half inches, you. Curious indeed, how these things happen. The wand chooses the withered, remember. I think we must expect great things from you, Mr. Potter. After all, he who must not, he who must not be named did great things. Terrible, yes, but great. Harry shivered. He wasn't sure he liked Mr. Ollivander too much. He paid seven gold gullions for his wand and Mr. Ollivander bowed them from his shop. The late afternoon sun hung low in the sky as Harry and Hagrid made their way back down Diagon Alley, back to the wall, back to the leaking cauldron, now empty. Harry didn't speak at all as they went down the road. He didn't even notice how much people were gawking, how much people were gawking at them on the underground, laden as they were with all their funny-shaped packages with the snowy owl asleep in its cage on Harry's lap. Up another escalator out into the Paddington station, Harry only realized where they were when Hagrid tapped him on the shoulder. Got time for a bite to eat before your train leaves, he said. He bought Harry a hamburger and they sat down on plastic seats to eat them. Harry kept looking around. Everything looks so strange somehow. You all right, Harry? You're very quiet, said Hagrid. Harry wasn't sure he could explain. He just had the best birthday of his life. And yet, he chewed his hamburger, trying to find the words. Everyone thinks I'm special, he said at last. All those people in the leaky cauldron.
Professor Quirrell, Mr. Ollivander. But I don't know anything about magic at all. How can they expect great things? I'm famous and I can't even remember what I'm famous for. I don't know what happened when Walt, I mean, sorry, I mean, the night my parents died. Hagrid leaned across the table, behind the wild beard and eyebrows. He wore a very kind smile. Don't you worry, Harry. You'll learn fast enough. Everyone starts at the very beginning at Hogwarts. You'll be just fine. Just be yourself. I know it's hard. You've been singled out. And that's always hard. But you'll have a great time at Hogwarts. I did. Still do, matter of fact. Hagrid helped Harry onto the train that would take him back to Dursley's and then handed him an envelope. A ticket for Hogwarts, he said. First of September, King's Cross. Call on your ticket. Any problems with the Dursley's, send me a letter with your owl. She'll know where to find me. See you soon, Harry. The train pulled out of the station. Harry watched, wanted to watch Hagrid until he was out of sight. He rose in his seat and pressed his nose against the window. But he blinked, and Hagrid has gone.